welcome to the Big Kids Book Club. A podcast about all things fictional, from middle grade to young adult. So sit back, relax and enjoy the show. Hey, 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 welcome back to another episode of the Big Kids Book Club. My name is Marcus and I'm your host and joining me on the show, we have debut author of 21% Monster, it's PJ Canning. Welcome to the show. It's lovely to be here. How is it going, Peter? Obviously very exciting to be a debut author coming out with that sort of first middle grade book uh, in 21% Monster. Do you want to just tell us a little bit about your writing journey? Let's get to know you first before we dive into the book. How did you come about becoming a writer? Can you give us some of the highlights of your writing journey? Uh, very few highlights, actually. I mean, it is very exciting. It's um, kind of something I've wondered whether I would manage for a long time. And so to finally be here is, you know, very strange, <laughs> I have to say, because um, I've spent a long time writing and the idea of people actually wanting to discuss it with me <laughs> is quite new. Um, so I started writing when I was 21. I should have been revising for my finals at university. I'm a chemist. Uh, but instead, I decided to write a children's story about a cat because someone told me you should write about what you know about. And I didn't think I knew much, but I did have a cat. So I wrote about the cat. Um, so 26 years later, here we are. So it's been a very, very long journey with very few moments of hope <laughs> along the way. So it's, you know, it's kind of a writing because I love it, really. And very early on, knowing it might never lead anywhere, but it's worth doing anyway. Um, and it's only really in the last sort of five years when I finally picked up an agent and then Osborne got interested that I realised it might actually lead to something. So some, I'm one of those people with a very long journey. <laughs> I have met some debut authors who have literally picked up a pen and the first thing they've written someone's picked up on. That was not my experience. But as someone who had done science rather than English literature or history or whatever, I had an awful lot of the basics to learn. So that kind of 25 years was probably eight years of learning what a lot of people know already, followed by eight years of really learning the craft, followed by eight or nine years of just letting all that go and allowing myself to be more creative and not worrying about the rules because I kind of knew them. And so, yeah, looking back, I know why it took this long. (laughs) But along the way, it just seemed like probably an eternal journey of rejection, which I think a lot of authors go through yeah the, the growing pains I feel are real and yes there are some people who are very lucky they are as the, I think they're known as unicorns in the industry but it is is you took a while and I, I interested that you said there in the last five years once you had the agent things have been rocketing up I wonder was 21% monster the book that got you the agent it was indeed it, although I hadn't written it it was um it was an idea that I'd had a number of years before um, I'd literally just been sitting there with a half-eaten packet of Monster Munch, one of the purple packets, and I thought, what if eating something made you a bit monstrous? And then I happened, a few days later, I was in a shop and I saw a packet of Space Raiders, which are those ones with the kind of alien face on the front. And I thought, what if you know, it could make you a little bit alien? And that just led to a kind of an idea of, well, what is this, this organisation that's putting something into food because they want to make school kids slightly monster or slightly alien and that led to just kind of a one-off vision really as I was kind of lying in bed one morning of this kid sitting on the edge of his bed looking like he had the weight of the world on his shoulders and that's Darren who's 21% monster 
and through the window out on the road, there's this very well-dressed, very clearly very intelligent, inquisitive and arrogant boy looking in at him with this kind of scheming look on his face. And that's Marek, who's 19% alien. And it was one of those ideas where I thought, yeah, you can never get a book out of that. So I just put it on a sh- shelf in my brain. Um, but they kept popping up. And then my agent, who was just starting out as an agent at the time, ran a competition. And it was just 2,000 words from anywhere in a story that outlines a concept, shows two main characters having a conversation. And I thought, well, I can waste this idea on that because it's not a proper one. And I popped it in and I came seventh. My agent and I disagree about this. He claims I came top seven. But I think if you come top seven, you've come seventh, really, in my view. Um, So, uh, But he said, you know, do you want to have a chat about it? And we kind of just brainstormed it for about a month. And it just started coming together that these two boys have quite an oddball relationship. You know, Marek, very clever, very arrogant, very careless, therefore. And Darren, cautious, talented in his own way, but finds school very difficult um, because he can't read because of his monstrous heritage. And they just started to gel in a kind of oddball, kind of like quite a lot of friction in the relationship, but also quite a lot of respect. And it just blew up from there. And then suddenly I've got a book. Uh, and it turns out it's probably the best one I've written. So, you know, it's nice that this one's the one that's finally made it. Absolutely. It's just one of those things I love when you hear these sort of origin stories that sometimes the ideas do. I love the idea that's come from eating a pack of Monster Munch. You're like, ah, oh, what if? And then seeing the Space Raiders. And again, just adding to that what if and stirring that pot. And they do say there's a great one, I think, Stephen King, you know, all these masterclasses you can find online now. He never writes any ideas down when he has an idea. He says, because if it's a good idea, it will stay. Yeah. So if you write them down, you know, the good ones are going to stay. So he doesn't write down every idea. It's the ones that, like you there, that just keep coming back to him week after week and won't leave him alone. They're, that's how he knows what he's going to write next. That's really interesting. I hate to say I agree with Stephen King because that sounds remarkably arrogant <laughs> of a new author. But I, I have also realised if I write an idea down, if I write notes on an idea, I then never write it. So I just let them be in my head and I do not plan. I kind of prepare. I kind of think what kind of world might they be in? Who, what, what the bad guy's up to? What kind of people are they? I let them wander around my head for a while. And in the case of Darren and Marek, probably for the best part of 10 years. But then when I sit down to write, what plot happens? I put no effort into thinking what that might be. I literally put them into a situation, something extreme enough to make them gel. And then how, how are those two going to react is my question. And I really write down how they react. And one of the reasons in this book that there's also the point of view of the bad guys in it, and the main one being Missing Heart, who's working for the organisation that accidentally created them and wants to remove all trace of this experiment, is how she reacts causes what they then have to react to. And so the plot is really just people reacting to events. And I think you can get something quite authentic out of that. But trying to plan it out too much, I think probably would have killed the idea. It's a, an interesting process to go through and a bit scary with a plot-driven book. But it, it seems to work better than knowing where the plot is going because you have the potential that it then seems like the character is simply doing a process to get you to the finale as opposed to getting themselves there and having more agency. So that's kind of how it how it panned out it's interesting that that whole sort of plotter versus pantser sort of debate especially in the writing community like neither is right neither is wrong and it's just mm. really down to that personal preference and sometimes you'll find people who are inherently pantsers or plotters sometimes the, the book requires a certain 
way to be written. It needs to come out that way from that. So had you found that you were writing differently? Is it, have you always been a sort of pantser in regards to some of the old previous books? Or was this fact that this book just needed to be sort of that sort of more free formed in that, in that writing process? Yeah, I mean, oddly, plot, coming up with a plot is the thing I find easiest. And maybe that's why I've learned not to worry about it. Because I, you know, wherever I am in a book, I can think probably what's going to happen next is this. And it, it's about like waking up in the morning and knowing it's a big day. You know, I've got a job interview or something and you kind of know how that's probably going to go. But you don't really know. Um, it might go a different way and you're going to have to react. So in my early years, I, I knew where the plot was going. I didn't write it down, but I knew where the plot was going. But what I used to discover was there'd be a moment where the characters did something different in a scene. And I would try and adjust the scene to make them do what they were supposed to. And that would be the point I, I slowly realised where people disengaged. You know, if you give it, give it to people who are willing to read a work in progress from an unknown, not many of them around, but when they did, the point where they started to drift was when that happened because it starts to feel like this character isn't doing this for any reason I get. So I moved towards, I suppose you would call it being a pantser, although, as I said, I do prepare some elements. I do think about the world. It's not like I literally just turn off on day one do nothing <laughs> and then write it but I, yeah I, I move I've moved towards that and now it's my preferred style I think there is an element of being a plotter that can come in on edit two or three where it's kind of no one's clear why they did that right I might have to plot this bit out to make it clear so just bring in the other way of doing it as a kind of a, a second approach so I'm not anti-plotter I'm not you know I, I'm not a, a campaigning against them I think there's a it's a way of doing it but for me the authenticity has required a, a more of a pantser approach that's very interesting I like the idea of that with combining the two techniques and really I, I think it, like you say because it's a reactionary novel and the fact that a lot of stuff is happening the action is on the page and a lot of the time that's just swaying how characters have to adapt to it obviously Marek this whole situation with discovering you know Darren discovering he's 21% monster that that this organization has basically been polluting a certain amount of like schools over the past years. And now there's a giant cover up and they're embroiled in the middle of it. You can almost say they're they're the final piece of evidence that needs mm. to be uh, removed. Merrick, of course, very cold. He's been almost living on his own on the run for so long, stealing money from bank accounts. I remember the, the scene in the, the pub they first get to after breaking out of prison and he's just effectively, he was just going to use his uh, abilities to, um, mesmerize people to just be like get us some food and then obviously paid a thousand pounds from some other bank account and Darren's not all too uh, impressed with the, his loose and fast use of rules uh, or lack of them but it's interesting that all this sort of comes to because obviously there's so much reacting you know do you when you're creating uh, characters uh, do you have a sort of a track of their personalities at the beginning or was it a case of like oh I guess this character is kind of like that it's it's a mix so I do, you know, kind of being a scientist, something does come out, I think, which is if you can have someone 90% alien, what alien? You know, so I know exactly what the alien's like. Marek doesn't. Marek's trying to work it out. And maybe in later books, he'll find out some more evidence. Maybe he'll meet one. I don't know yet. That's one of the wonderful things about not being a plotter. I've got no idea what's coming. So he, you know, the, you, you can come up with a set of abilities based on, well, if those were the things he could have inherited from this this uh this 19 genetics so an element of it you can work out beforehand and that's going to be quite fun some of it happens on the spot so there was the fir- very first scene i wrote about darren he um was at one in a prison cell where he runs into his prison cell because he's trying to avoid other kids and he just hides under the bed 
And in that moment, I just thought, oh, he's the monster under the bed. And that kind of happened on the fly. But then you start thinking, well, what kind of qualities would the monster under the bed have? Well, they'd probably have dark fur because they're nighttime animals. So he's got his blue hair and they probably see well in the dark. So Darren could see in the dark. They probably have good hearing. They would hide by instinct. Probably the fact that they're so dangerous is to do with reacting to being found. So Darren, both physically and emotionally, prefers to hide. He doesn't say what he thinks. He doesn't, you know, say much. If you can get away with it, he'll shrug or deflect. And then certain things in his life, like being unable to read, have reinforced that habit of trying to stay out of the way. So that kind of, some of that happened on the fly when I just sort of realised in the moment. And there's always, it's lovely in a book when there's a scene where a character's just thinking or doing something, and you suddenly realise that's why you're here. That's what you're about. Um, and I had that a little bit in the second book with the the evil organisation about their master plans when one of the people you haven't met yet was just literally just thinking to themselves, looking out the window, and it suddenly clicked what why they were doing what they were doing. And those those moments of gold dust, really. So it's kind of a mix. Yeah, it's actually interesting you say that. A uh, XSP, I believe, are the uh, the notorious uh, shadow. Uh organization in the background pulling the strings the puppet masters that were uh, of which Inghart and uh, Dukas are a, sort of a part of it's interesting sort of like creating an even organization like say behind the scenes especially when you're sort of being more freeform with your creation as was it always going to be like an evil I know you were talking about that something in the character creation what if someone was putting stuff in food had it always been the idea that you're gonna because obviously uh, I'm assuming when this got um, picked up the initial idea you know one book is always what you're thinking we know that we're going to get ice giant as well so did you have to obviously maybe potentially go back and rewrite that in drafts two or three you're mentioning and put some more plotting elements in once you're especially trailing off towards the end of the book you know the second book's coming did you have to redesign the evil organization so that way there's sort of some longevity into book two to create a master plan rather than a a single book antagonist to a certain extent so what what I did in book one was, if you like, there's the, the local drivers. So what's driving Miss Singhart? Miss Singhart's made a mistake at the beginning of the book. Otherwise, Darren would already be caught. So she's also protecting herself. And so she's in a very exposed situation, which is quite an interesting thing. I know what they're doing locally, but then you've got an opportunity going into book two to think, well, what's the what's the global ambition of this secret organisation? How on earth did they come about? Um, and the weird thing about publishing is that the timescales are quite long. So I'm reworking and reworking book one while drafting book two and as you start to see major things about the organization in book two there was the opportunity to go back and think there's probably an epilogue here where you can start saying giving people a little bit of a taste for what the wider thing might be so that's kind of how it comes about so i would think one one difficult thing with um, villains particularly if they go over several books is very few people would say I'm a bad person. I'm doing this for bad reasons. I'm doing this for personal gain. People, even if they are doing it for personal gain, have a tendency to create a logic about why that's okay. And therefore, really, the organisation as a whole needed a, a very strong logic that they all bought into about why they had to do what they were doing, even though what they were doing was fundamentally wrong. And that was quite an interesting process to go through. And really, through the books, you start to see that and the ideal is that you have an unnerving moment for for the reader where they think well i get why they're doing it i know they shouldn't be but i get why that's what you really want to go for and it'll be interesting to see um if i've managed that when people read the 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 later stories yeah there's that there's no sort of like uh what i'd call the disney style twirling your mustache uh you know evil evil characters the the idea is even the bad guys the heroes their own story 
And in that case, in, in many cases, they believe what they're doing is right, either for personal or greater justification. So I really like the idea of that. And that takes us nicely onto book two, obviously, off the back of uh, 21% Monster, 21% Monster Ice Giant. You have sort of mentioned a little bit there how you were juggling multiple plates there. You were editing one, writing another. How has it been different getting into book number two? Obviously, sounds like you said, 10 years in the development for book mm. one and i'm assuming book two we want it kind of like it's going to turn around in almost a year after 21 percent monster quite a different turnaround in in terms of time oh completely different and i think i took a decision which was the events pretty much run straight on there are things that happen at the end of book one that cause book two um and that allowed me to just sort of try and keep the energy up and there's this kind of if you like a, a hiatus when with book one they're working out the cover like you know you, you've got your editor like several editors and various people sort of like crawling over the text trying to tighten it up and you know there's so many things when you're talking about middle grade that you just need to be so careful of in terms of how, how things come across on the page different kind of readers that takes a long time to get right and as a writer you really have to buy into the expertise around you so that's all going on and meanwhile in the quiet moments while they're doing those stages I'm just plowing on trying to just get the first draft of book two down but I, I was fortunate that there are certain things that happen towards the end of book one which would require tidying up if you were the the bad guys or would you know leave Merritt to think that we might be able to find something out there and you know right at the end of book one the, the bad guys have already kind of thrown the gauntlet down um so I just sort of it's almost like a second half of book one kind of you know obviously book one has a huge finale so it serves to be booking its own right but book two very much sits with it um, and you, you start to see the, the wider game that's being played. Yeah, that sort of full form, as it were, almost like in a TV show. Like it's almost like book one brings us perfectly to that sort of mid-season finale. And then book two is like that second half of season one where you sort of get bigger, better. The story continues, more plot threads unravel, such like that. Yeah. And um, one, one fun thing about it is realising the good guys, the bad guys, they've all each individually got their own issues their own things they need to sort out both for officially what they're up to and also personally what they're up to and so all these threads somehow keep coming together well um and i'm just sort of holding on to all, all the various threads and keeping it going it's been a lot of fun i have to say i mean the the box set analogy is quite good because as a writer sometimes i feel like i'm in the middle of a box set it's happening around me and I've just got to take notes. Um, that's when it's going well. There are other days where it's kind of like just graphed out one line and I'm happy. Um, but it, it has had, it, it's interesting that it's had such momentum because there's an awful lot going on. And um, one of the fun things about it has just been how fast the story is and yet how much how much is going on for each of the characters as well as the action. Indeed, plenty of action. And I feel like that's where it's, it sits so nicely. A real big action adventure story right there for you. Uh, for you guys listening, it is uh, 21% Monster. It's coming out for the 7th of July from Usborne. It's uh, as time of recording, it's not out, but it will be out probably by the time this goes live. So you can check it out at your friendly local bookstore or any sort of good bookseller. Um, Peter, this has been super fun, but we are very quickly getting towards the end of today's show. So as we are at the end of today's show, uh, we are going on to our competition. Yes, it's competition time, lovely listeners. And where one of you lovely listeners gets a chance to win a copy of 21% Monster. How do you do that? Let me tell you. You can head over to our Twitter at Big Kids Book Club. That's all one long, lovely word. There you can be joining in our quizzy question, uh, which is a hashtag monster comp. 
that's hashtag monster comp you'll retweet give it a like with that hashtag and of course we always ask a quizzy question alongside it to keep things fun and fresh so easiest one today would be if you could be 21 percent of anything else what would you like to be would that be also a monster would you like to be 21% maybe vampire or maybe you'd like to be 21% mermaid be able to swim underwater loads of ideas aliens like Marek you know there's so many possibilities so uh Peter I'm gonna sort of spin it back to you obviously you are uh, deep in the world 21% monster yeah. but if you could be 21% anything what would you be so for something that hasn't been in the books I would say octopus and I would say that maybe not 21% I'd probably go for a lower percentage um, just to make sure I'm uh, biologically viable. But the reason is, one, they're really cool animals. And having, mm. I think, um, suckers on the inside of your arms so you can climb walls would be quite cool. Um, but also, they have a brain in each tentacle. So I think the idea, just as an author of, even if I had the normal number of arms for a human being, if each of them had a brain of its own and didn't agree with me, I think there's a lot of comedy potential there. So that's what I would go with. <laughs> oh, yes. I think that's a good one. I think there's lots of potential there. Um, for me, I kind of like the idea of being like 21% like cyborg or yeah. robot. You know, <laughs> the idea of just, you know, maybe having a slightly faster computing time. I've got so many times where I walk into a room and be like, what did I come in for? But my robot brain would pick up the slack. And you're like, I could do some tasks really fast. Like you just set yourself onto programming. I think it'd be really good sort of like um like cyborg from like teen titans or something like that just about 21 percent uh cyborg i think would be pretty cool but uh yeah they're just some of our ideas mine and peter's what would you be let us know with the hashtag monster comp and we would love to see all of these amazing entries on twitter we're really looking forward to seeing what people can come up with peter i really am yeah absolutely well this has been very much a, a great conversation to have and it's been very great to have you on the show peter so thank you very much again for coming spending some time with us here at the show thank you for having me it's been really fun all right well i'm not going to completely let you disappear until we let our lovely listeners know how they can find out more about you and your books is there a website or some social media they can go to um so i'm on twitter so it's pj canning author um there will be a website it hasn't quite been created yet. And also there's um, the Osborne website with the information about the books. There you go. Don't forget, lovely listeners, you're going to head over to our Twitter at Big Kids Book Club to join in that amazing competition. You can also find additional content, previews, reviews, and a whole archive of our back catalogue at our website, bigkidsbookclub.com. So go and check it out there. But that's all the time we have for this week. So until next time, all I have to say is for you to take care, to stay safe, but most importantly, to keep on reading. <laughs>